From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, April 23rd. And I'm here with Molly Marcello. Hello. Hello. Live in the studio. It's me, Sarah, the station manager, and we have... We flipped the mics. Yes, we flipped the mics. I should have had you do the intro today. <laughs> that's okay. It's Easy Renews with Sarah Mead. Yeah, I'm Sarah Mead. Oh, that's From right. high atop Rocky Road, it's KZMU <laughs> News. Um, I'm so excited to be able to uh, kind of be on this side of the mm. mic with you because you are, as a journalist, but also as a, as a person working with KZMU, you are somebody who does so much work behind the scenes. Mm. And then it just sort of gets presented in this beautiful little package that's researched and, and fact-checked and short and sweet and to the point. Aww, and nice. no one knows all of, the, uh-huh. all of the stuff that goes on behind there. Dare, um, we, dare we say what <laughs> dare, it is? Dare we say what your, what your new home studio is? is? Right, exactly. <laughs> um, you asked me a question last week that um, oh, man. Has, been, has been sticking with me because uh-huh. it is such a great... Um, I just really appreciated being having being able to have a moment to look back mm-hmm. um, on yeah. the pandemic, and yeah. this is d- December seventy fifth, two thousand and twenty <laughs> today. <laughs> right. Um, and I am curious to hear from you as the news and public affairs director at KCMU. What has kind of stayed with you sure. from reporting during during the global pandemic during you know the um, uprising and social justice. Right. Um, what's something that has stuck with you that you've you've considered you've continued to kind of look back on? Oh man, you know, as I was driving up to the station, I figured you would ask me something like this, <laughs> and I was trying to put myself um, back in April 2020 mm-hmm. at a very uncertain time, and I was thinking about um, how flexible the news became at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking of. The two to three months, you would know exactly when we didn't have live DJs in the studio. But mm-hmm. that was before we drafted our safety protocols up here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was an interesting time for the news because it really expanded. It wasn't uncommon for it to be 30 minutes. I think I saw some 40-minute newscasts that mm-hmm. we did. Yeah. And it really, like, opened it up to be um, a public affairs-type experience where I would just interview people and let the whole interview run because yeah. they were giving our community information that they needed to know during this emergency time. Yeah. And, you know, you talked about the social justice movement, too. I mean, that has I've seen that really change reporting uh, regionally as well. Um, You have conversations where these big national global conversations that are also being localized um, by KZME News, but also by our many radio partners. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're featuring a lot of those conversations, those issues on the newscast this year as well. But I think the key takeaway for me, for what did you call it? December 75th, <laughs> yeah. 2020. Yeah. <laughs> this year um, has really been um, a lesson in flexibility, mm-hmm. um, not just with like the length of the newscast. I think um, when we got back into um, the rhythm of the station again with mass protocols and COVID-19 protocols, you know, we went back to the 10-minute style, but we kept um, something different, which is the weekly newsreel, Mm -hmm. um, which we now have 
um, for almost a year now, um, not quite a year, um, where we talk to our local newspapers, also occasionally regional reporters and state reporters. Um, so we really kind of shook out our program schedule a little bit. And I think there are other ways that we became more flexible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's a strange thing because it was such a time of of restriction in that we were Mm -hmm. all staying home. We were working really diligently to wear masks, not Mm -hmm. see people, limit the amount of times that we did everything. But from going to the store to getting gas to just being in a public place. And it was all about sort of like slimming down to the smallest common denominator to keep oneself safe. And Mm -hmm. yet up here at the station, our news department in particular Mm -hmm. was growing um, in kind of, you know, direct reflection of what was going on around us. The newsreel is a great example of that. We were able to develop a whole a memorandum of understanding with our various media partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a, a couple of other points of growth in the news department as well with our regional media partners yeah. as well. I want to say, too, that throughout this time, um, KZMU was able to get a grant, mm-hmm. um, which is now um, set aside for freelance reporters, which is another point of growth uh, yeah. during this time. So we now have um, some funds available to pay freelance journalists for their work um, yeah. on KZMU News, which is what I'm most excited about uh, this year. It's really exciting. And yeah. you're already working with a few folks. We've uh-huh. already been able to throw a few of those freelance pieces on the air. Uh-huh. If you're listening to this and you're like, hey, I have some really cool ideas for a story and I would like to do some production as well, you All can right. reach out to molly, M-O-L-L-Y, at kzmu.org. Please reach out to me. I love it. Yes. Can I talk about one more thing that I I'm excited? I want you to, yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I know I feel like I've been talking about this a lot. We've only done two of them, but you know, one of the things about flexibility is one of the things that I learned about um, COVID-19 is I really liked giving people the mic um, mm-hmm. to tell our community what they needed to know in their own words. Um, sort of as a reflection of that, we're now doing these non-narrated audio portraits um, that are just little, yeah, portraits, little mm-hmm. snippets of people in our community. Um, they don't have my voice, you know, reporting right, um, right. in there. Um, they're just edited in a way where um, they're little snapshots of our community. And we have two of them. The third one is on deck. I've got <laughs> more interviews to do. And I'm really excited about that. I love these. They feel <laughs> like um, they're so immersive. Uh-huh. Like after the first two minutes or so of listening, I find that I'm like completely tuning everything else out. Mm-hmm. And I am just engrossed in this world yeah. of whoever is talking and learning about what they do. I really enjoyed hearing from from the Sand Flats um, mm-hmm. recreation area. Yeah, from Sonia, who works mm-hmm. at Sand Flats rec- recreation area and literally did all of the things <laughs> in one full day shift. And I to know. be able to hear the sounds of interacting with people at the front desk from uh-huh. cleaning up graffiti, it was just so amazing. And that's that's one of the things that you do on top of sure. managing the public affairs department and all of our public affairs hosts and producing a daily newscast. Yeah. So it, listeners, again, if... if if any of this stuff has affected you in a positive way over the last, you know, 13, 14 months, we would love to hear from you. We've already had so many generous folks donate and, and kind of attribute their donation to KZMU News and Public mm-hmm. Affairs. And if you've Thank been you. waiting until today, now's your time, 435 
with just about a minute left before we jump into that newsreel, uh-huh. I would love to hear um, if you can pick out, mm-hmm. cherry pick, um, something about your kind of practice as a journalist, mm. one of your methods that you feel like has changed, how you research something, mm. how you approach a subject for an interview. Mm-hmm. What has changed a little bit in this last year during coronavirus? How has that been affected? Oh, that's a great question. I was just, uh, while you were talking, I was imagining myself at home. <laughs> 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 I guess, you know, um, being able to take my reporting wherever, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily just at the station. I, of course, did that um, before coronavirus, but now it's it's at home. It's uh, oh, thank you for calling. Yes, thank Maybe you for one calling. of our trustees, Maria, can come in here and She's answer the phone right now. Um, but yeah, I think the reporting has changed in that I am doing things more on the fly, on the phone. Oh yeah, via Zoom, um, that sort of thing. Yeah, major uh, adaptation. And thank you so much for all that hard work that you do and that you put in to KZMU News and Public Affairs. Molly, we are so grateful for you. Thanks for having me. And now we head to our weekly newsreel where we speak with newspaper reporters about the stories they most recently covered in our area. Utah legislators appropriated over $36 million this legislative session for two new state parks. One near Moab will aim to better manage the historic and prehistoric. Utah Raptor State Park will cover the Dalton Wells area, a place that includes a famous dinosaur quarry as well as a civilian conservation court camp that later became a relocation center for incarcerated Japanese Americans during World War II. Reporter Carter Poppy with the Times Independent visited the site this week, along with the decision makers who will shape the new state park. There was a a visit that state officials made to Dalton Wells on Monday, the state paleontologist was there, the head of state parks was there, a bunch of other Moab bigwigs. Representative Steve Eliason was also there. He's the sponsor of the bill to create Utah Raptor State Park. Lots of people. And we all went out to kind of get an overview of two of the main features of the site. One was the dinosaur quarry, which is the first time I was there. So I'm very excited to talk about that. The other one was the civilian conservation course site Uh, that later became a concentration camp for Japanese Americans. We got an overview of of that site, which is also in Dalton Wells. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I learned a whole lot about this area, which I had never actually visited. The the amount of stuff that I learned was was crazy. One of the big things that I took away back in the 70s was when they sort of started excavating the site. And it was ongoing for uh, like 30 years. They'll probably get to revisit it at some point. But in the in the span that they were excavating, they got 5,500 bones out, more than that, fossils. The state paleontologist Jim Kirkland said while we were there, he estimated that the 5,500 bones and more that have been found so far at Dalton Wells is only 10% of the, the bones that are there. That's um, incredible. Yeah. So, so our headline is 50,000 reasons to protect Dalton Wells. And, and like you, you walk up to the dinosaur quarry and literally we would like look down at the ground. And if you knew what you were looking for, you could just peek, pick up a, a fragment of dinosaur bone. <laughs> you know, I had a similar experience, not at Dalton Wells, but I went to the Hanksville Burpee dinosaur quarry near Hanksville okay. and yeah. 
Dickinson was there. It was part of Green River's rock festival. But similar experience where you're just walking and all of a sudden, like, there's this petrified wood. It was pretty mind-blowing. It was a, it was a cool experience. Yeah, prior to that, I had only ever seen dinosaur bones, not like behind glass, but like right. in museums. It was just absolutely wild. You know, what was the most striking to you on this tour? Well, uh, probably the dinosaur bones, but what, one of the things that I was like, man, this is, I, I really did not know as much about this as I, as I wish I had, was about the isolation camp site that was there. Tony Mancuso, who's with the Division of Forestry, Fire, and Sovereign Lands, he gave the overview of the isolation camp and civilian conservation corps site. It's really interesting history. And that like that to me is very important because it's like human history. We go up and see these bones and it's like, oh, these are dinosaurs that only like exist in my imagination. But what I'm looking forward to at Utah Raptor, there's so much geology and paleontology going on there that I'm looking forward to having all that preserved and getting to learn more. And that's going to be good. But I think that there's a huge opportunity for how they preserve this site that, I mean, it's two like really disparate segments of history. Like the CCC thing was a public works project for creating employment opportunities for young Americans, young men. Mm -hmm. And then the isolation camp was, you know, like a totally different in character piece of American history. So there's a lot of interesting stuff going on there, a lot of important stuff, and I'm, I'm hoping that they do it justice. I think that they will. Now, it sounds like this was a site tour, a site assessment um, with people who were involved in drafting the legislation, and then people who are now uh, tasked with implementing the actual state park. You know, was there any talk of timeline or what they'd like to see or that sort of thing? Yeah, uh, Representative Eliason cracked a joke. He was like, so we're going to have this done by January 1st, 2022, right? The implication being it's not going to be that quick. The funds are allocated in the 2021 fiscal year for construction. So this site will probably start looking different at some point at the end of the year. But the best guesses that they had was that it's not going to be ready for like full state park amenities until sometime next year. At this point, even the boundaries of the park are not decided yet. Most of the land belongs to Utah State Trust Land, SITLA. And then the other portion belongs to the Sovereign Lands Division. So they'll end up setting up like a lease agreement with Sovereign Lands because they have a different mandate. But SITLA, their mandate is to like create revenue for educational purposes in, in, in Utah and in schools. So they are not going to merely like give up that land. They're going to, there's going to be some sort of purchasing agreement. And that's part of what the funds that the bill created will go toward. But exactly how much the is, is dedicated to the state park yet to be determined. At the very least, I mean, it seems pretty obvious that you include the dinosaur quarry at least. And there are some other things in the area that they'll probably try to capture in there, but land is not yet determined. Timeline, not certain. It's a, it's a, it's, it's still a work in progress. They only passed the bill a few months ago. It's true. Yeah, I know. Well, very neat that, um, you know, the state legislators and the people at state parks and our state paleontologist, who is um, very fun to talk to, <laughs> came down and, and did this this little assessment slash tour. Anyway, moving on. So there's more in the Times Independent that you'd like to highlight. What do you want to talk about next? This week was the culmination of, of a lot of like six months, basically, and more in some cases, work related to 
reducing noise pollution created by off-highway vehicles. So we got two separate sets of rules that the county passed. One is about business regulations on OHV tour companies and rental companies, and then another that was about the county's general noise ordinance. So we, we covered uh, both of those things in this, this week's edition. Noise, six months of work. It culminated this week, at least for the county. The city's decisions are yet to be made. Without going into the nitty gritty of the details, can you tell us what they decided? Yeah, basically they decided to put certain restrictions on OHB businesses, including some more controversial ones that the businesses were uh, explicitly opposed to and have threatened litigation over. The general noise ordinance, I think the way to characterize it is like, at least this is the way that the county attorney characterized it, is all that the county can do without stepping on federal and state law that preempts them. It's not exactly an experiment, but it's new for Grand County. We're mm-hmm. copying things that other municipalities and counties have done elsewhere. There's a lot of training that needs to be done. The businesses and the UTB users in the county and the city need to you know, get accustomed to these new rules. There's a lot of education that needs to be done. That's all going to be sort of the first year of enforcement. Mm-hmm. What it will look like is just giving warnings, no citations, except in like egregious circumstances. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's probably what they look like. Um, yeah, I know that there's the people are interested, they can find the ordinances at the county website and look at all the details. I would also say that if people are interested in better understanding the county attorney's opinion, Christina Sloan did make a presentation during the Tuesday council meeting. So you can kind of see where she's coming from when it comes to drafting of the ordinances, which she played a a major role in. And I would definitely recommend people pay attention to the parts of where she talks about how state and federal law sort of interact with what the county is able to do on all of this. Carter Poppy, reporter at the Times Independent. Subscription information and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Dinosaurs have really made the news this week. Researchers in southern Utah published a scientific paper suggesting the somewhat infamous Tyrannosaurus was not a lone predator as commonly believed. Maggie McGuire at the Moab Sun News has more from their coverage. This group of scientists just published a a scientific paper with their conclusions that based on fossils evidence that they found around Grand Staircase, that Tyrannosaurus rex could have behaved a little bit more like a pack of wolves rather than like a, a solo predator, you know, wandering the landscape um, like in Jurassic Park. Wow, that's so interesting. What were some of the leads that they mm-hmm. pointed to to make them suggest they were more like a wolf pack? So some of the fossils that they found um, implied that the animals had basically died at the same location at the same time. And these were multi-generational groups. So this were, were some like, you know, some baby Tyrannosaurus rexes, some older ones, which implied that, you know, these animals were sort of um, in a group caring for for their young and and hanging out with each other. And I think that even the term hanging out was used by one of the scientists to describe like how these fossils appeared, that they were grouped really closely and kind of in a, a, you know, that implied that 
they were were being social and hanging out. You know, when I when I read this article, I was kind of struck by how much there still is to learn and uncover in the world of paleontology. Oh yeah. I think that one of the most interesting things about sort of scientific disciplines in general is that, you know, while we had like some decades of talking about science, you know, like it's like this very like nailed down thing, paleontology is a great example of of how much creativity and expression that individual paleontologists bring to to their discipline. I think that that's really cool. And it's a, a way of thinking about science that I think is also like much more accessible. And I'm really glad that these particular paleontologists have been really um, accessible to the to the media and told their story, not through just a dry scientific paper, but told the story not only of these these fossils, but also of the people who discovered the fossils and are telling stories about the fossils. That's yeah. really cool. It's just amazing um, how much we can learn from these fossils and, and the people who are the experts to interpret them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's it's interesting to see how that knowledge does change over time. I think it, you know, can show that if you're you're interested in paleontology or the past, there's still um, a lot of accessible places for you to interpret things, for you to look at evidence. And maybe if you're, you know, basically, it's just not a, it's not a closed book that we're learning from. We're actually learning from something that is constantly changing and evolving. And that's like super, super cool. And it really, uh, it showed me how thinking about careers like, like those in paleontology, you know, that stuff starts when, when you're a kid. And so it, it made it really obvious that this article to me, at least, had a lot of resonance with another story that we were able to cover in this edition about a group of sixth grade students who did their own sort of self-driven scientific research. Amazing. And this next article is really fun. It sounds like the Moab Charter School launched a high-altitude weather balloon. Can you tell us uh, about this project? Yeah, this is one of those stories that come by and you're like, I feel like every adult who reads it you just get a little bit of the like, we didn't do that when I was in school. <laughs> so this particular class had decided to sort of tackle science, again, sort of focusing on science as a process rather than sort of a, a set of facts that you just learn. So mm-hmm. the best way of obviously doing that was kind of just to, to go through and, and do a real experiment themselves. And I'm really impressed with this particular group of students because they not only came up with the experiment and and put this um, high altitude balloon and sort of the flight instruments that that balloon carried together, they also actually did a lot of the fundraising themselves for this. And I think that that's really, um, really interesting and really realistic because learning about science without learning about, oh, we have to fund this experiment and oh, we did the experiment. Now we have to analyze the data. These are all jobs that are related to science. But if you just sort of looked up the uh, uh, encyclopedia picture of a scientist, you might not think of first. So it's, it's really cool to see um, that these particular students kind of got that, that full experience. Oh, isn't that so true? How connected science is to, to funding and publishing so it sounds like the balloon soared over 90,000 feet 
into the stratosphere, as you put it in your article, and a flight recorder was placed on the balloon. So there's actually video footage of, of the experiment. That's, that's really neat. So there's actually pretty extensive documentation that these students were able to put together as part of closing out this experiment. They're going through and analyzing the data from their sort of flight recorders and combining that with this GoPro footage, which really does. You can see the curvature of the world. Wow. Um, 90,000 feet is like way past when um, this balloon would have become just not visible to the, to the naked eye. So it went super, super high. And so they're going to combine that in the sort of a, a video presentation of all of their conclusions. And that's going to be released on the Moab Charter School Facebook page so that not only the students, um, but, you know, at the school, but also like the larger community can learn a little bit. And I think that that's really awesome is that, you know, not only to do this, but also to, to share it with um, the rest of us. Because even talking just to um, Loria Cottingham, who's this particular sixth grade class's teacher, you know, I learned a lot. So I think it's something that um, is really lovely to, to share. Really cool project. Um, very neat photo too that goes along with this article. And like you said earlier, you know, this balloon project is an example of what's called experiential learning. So education mm-hmm. that emphasizes learning by doing, as you put it in the article. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's a good example of how, you know, experiential learning not only maybe is just kind of a, a cool theory of, of education, but, you know, if these kids had just read a book about the stratosphere or, you know, read some facts about, you know, high altitude balloons, that would have been cool. But this way, they actually have stuff to share with us. So if anything, the larger community benefits from experiential learning as much as the students do, I feel. Maggie McGuire, publisher and editor at the Moab Sun News. Subscription information and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we speak with newspaper reporters and editors about the most recent stories they covered in our area. You can find the pieces mentioned today in the show notes of the news on our website and podcast. And before we go, dear listener, I want to say if you appreciate this type of programming that we put together on Fridays, we get to speak with uh, the local papers and sometimes even a state or regional reporter. Let us know by donating to KZMU News. Thanks for supporting our local grassroots journalism effort. We truly could not do this without you. As I say every week, we so appreciate you for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.